and we're talking about Obadiah tonight. All right. How many of y'all excited about some Obadiah? How many of y'all ever heard of Obadiah? How many of y'all ever read Obadiah? How many of y'all even wonder who Obadiah is? He's an awesome prophet that we know absolutely nothing about. Amen? And so as we turn into Obadiah, if you have your, uh, your Bibles, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Obadiah. No, that's not even right. What is it? There you go. Somewhere in that area. So we got Obadiah in there. I looked it up earlier because I knew I'd get it wrong when I got up here, and I still got it wrong. And so, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. That's why I started with Jonah. So Obadiah, it's, it's 21 verses, so if you haven't found it yet, you may not find it. Obadiah, we're just going to read the key verse that's throughout this scripture. It's on your handout. It's Obadiah chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, Shall shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. Father, open our hearts to hear your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of y'all have ever felt like you've just been forgotten by God? Like you've been going through stuff, you've been going through trials, you've been going through something, and you finally get to the point, you're like, God, do you even remember that I exist here on this earth? Do you even remember that I'm here? Do you even remember that I am in the vicinity of this place, this realm that you call earth? God, do you remember me? This is the theme of Obadiah and how the nation of Israel felt after they had been ransacked um, by, by several different nations. And they were wondering, God, do you even remember us? And this word comes from Obadiah in verse 10. And it's talking to the nation of Edom, as we'll find out here in just a little bit. Because of the violence, Edom, you did to your brother Jacob. Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. And those are strong words from the Father um, uh, above. And so if you are a big picture person, I wanted to put a, a big picture for you about Obadiah and the book of Obadiah. And so the first nine verses are um, Edom's humiliation and destruction. The second one is, is, is about Edom and their crimes. And the third one is Edom and the day of the Lord. And so you have several things going on there. And so you have the, the first few verses that talk about specific things. And I wanted to give you a brief overview on some of those things. So as we go through this, you kind of know where we're at going through, through the book of Obadiah. And so as we jump down to the history of, of Obadiah, the prophet, who is Obadiah? Nothing is known about the author outside of these 21 verses. So this was a man who shows up, delivers a word from God, walk, drops the mic, walks out of the room, never to be heard of again. <laughs> Come on now. Kind of like an evangelist. You bring them in, they blow in, blow up, and blow out, and yeah. come on now. And that's what Obadiah did. He walks in. Everybody figures he's a contemporary of Jeremiah because he prophesies about the same thing where Jeremiah was prophesying to Judah and some to Israel. Obadiah, when he prophesies, he's not prophesying to the nation of Judah or Israel, though. This is what makes Obadiah so unique is he is not prophesying to God's people. He's prophesying on behalf of God's people to the nation that helped destroy them. And he's prophesying against Edom. And so what makes Obadiah so unique is he was the prophet who didn't look at Israel and say, change your ways. He didn't look at Judah and says, you're wrong, you've missed it. He's the one who stood in the gap and said, Judah and Israel, God's about to go to war for you. And Edom, you are fixing to experience the full wrath of the father because you've gone against his covenant people. Now, that's why I like Obadiah. 
He stands up and pronounces what God's about to do on behalf of the nation of Israel rather than against the sins of the nation. And now how many of you know you still got to address your own personal sins in your life if you want God to bring in somebody and stand up for you and declare what's going to happen against those who've been cursing you and coming down on you? Amen. Amen. So you got to deal with you, and if you'll deal with you, God will deal with them. So many of us want to deal with them and say, I'll take and not deal with yourself. When you deal with yourself and come before the Father and begin to get right with Him and repent, change your thinking, turn your heart towards Him, and begin to walk fully after the Lord your God, God will send people, God will send Himself, God will send His angels, God will send all of heaven to stand between you and your adversaries. Come on now. And declare the promises of God uh, uh, upon you. And, and I love this as I studied years back, the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord always does two things. And I'm already off my topic. I said I wasn't going to do this. But the hand of the Lord does two things. It always blesses those who are in covenant and goes against those who are going against God's people. So when Moses said, was talking and the Bible says the hand of the Lord will be with you, he was going to bless the nation of Israel and drill, d deliver them out. But also that same hand was going to be against Pharaoh and everything else. So when you read about the hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord for those who are in covenant with God and walking rightly with God, it is the hand of blessing and favor and power. For those, of who, those who are against God, it is the hand of destruction that sweeps across. And I'll talk about covenants here in a minute. And so the time frame of Obadiah, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, 21 verses. This prophetic book is not addressed to Israel or Judah, but to Israel's rival, the nation of Edom. The land of Edom is a mountainous area uh, east of the Dead Sea, south of Judah. Most believe the time frame is when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And so as you see on that little map beside you, the nation south of Judah is all of the nation of Edom. And so let's get a little bit of background. Where did this come from? Where did the nation of Edom rise up? Because these are two rivalry nations. It's a lot like God's people, Michigan, and the enemy, Ohio State. Amen. I mean, it's just, okay, some of y'all didn't get that. It's the Aggies and the Longhorns, if you want to say it like that. I don't know. I don't know who y'all's rivals are, but I know who mine is. Amen. And there's a great rivalry going on between these nations, and it starts out not as a war between two nations. It starts out as a rivalry between two brothers. So the nation of Edom is one, represents one brother and is from the descendants of one brother. The nation of Judah and Israel are from the descendants of Jacob. Jacob's older brother, twin brother, was Esau, translated Edom. So this is the story of how the rivalry begins of Jacob and Esau, or Judah and Edom. And, I, and, and Genesis 25, um, 21 through 34 says, And Isaac prayed. So you remember the Bible, it says, The God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and his son Jacob, even though he was the second born. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife she, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Listen to this. The children struggled together within her. That means they were in her belly fighting. Right? Any of you moms ever had twins and your kids fighting on the inside? You know if they're fighting on the inside, you better be ready for on the outside. Amen. I mean, inside they're in a cage match. Outside it's everything else. Y'all aren't laughing at my jokes tonight, by the way. I'm just saying. <laughs> the children struggled together within her and she said, if it, it, if it is thus, why is this happen to, happening to me? So she went to inquire or get a word from the Lord, and the Lord said to her, now listen to what God told her. Before the kids were ever even born, before several hundred years later when this big war was going to take place, God said this, 
Two nations are in your womb. God was saying from the beginning what was about to happen. There are two nations on the inside of you, Rebecca, and in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And all the younger siblings said, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. No. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, his body like a hairy cloak. So they called him Esau, later to be known as the nation of Edom. Afterward, his brother came out um, with his hand holding Esau's heel. So they called him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So Esau came out and, and, and Jacob already grabbed his heel and like, uh-uh, I ain't letting go. And he, and he came out right behind Esau. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter and the man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And then it goes on um, that, that talks about their lifestyle growing up. And if y'all ever want to read about a family that sounds dysfunctional, read this story. I mean, just go read it. You think your family's bad? Just go read about Jacob and Esau. I mean, I'm telling you. And so where it talks about right there, Esau sells his birthright. This is later on in their life. And so just to give you more background, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. That'd be like Jeff coming in starving and me cooking a big old pot of stew. Actually, this is, should be reversed. He's always cooking the stew. And I'm coming in, let's eat, Jeff, come on. But I'm cooking stew. Jeff comes in and says, I'm starving. He's like, how hungry are you? I'm about to die. I'm so hungry. What you want to give for a bowl of soup? I'll give you whatever you want for a bowl of soup. I want your birthright. We laugh. But many of you sell out your birthright from God for a pleasure of the moment. Many of us sell out what God has given us as a seed because we can't see the potential in the seed and so we sell the seed for a momentary pleasure. We gotta quit selling out what God says is our birthright for the future. We gotta quit selling out our kids. We gotta quit selling out our tithe. We gotta quit selling out on our first fruits to God. We gotta quit selling out on all this stuff. Man, the body of Christ today is a bunch of sellout for the next big thing. Man, we'll compromise our integrity for faster church growth. We'll compromise our, our, our integrity in the career for faster promotion. We'll sell out our destiny, our birthright for a momentary pleasure that God says it's time for the church to stop. So once Jacob was cooking stew and he said, I'm exhausted, Esau said. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Verse 32, Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear it to me now. <laughs> that boy, I'm telling you. Wisdom, I guess you'd say. <laughs> swear it to me now. So he swore it to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup. Mm, that's desperate. And he ate and he drank and, and arose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now I want you to catch that, what it says. It didn't say Esau despised Jacob. It says Esau despised or, or what's the best way to it? 
despised. He, he took for granted his birthright. He didn't value his birthright. He despised it because he sold it out. He sold out the very blessing of God on his life for a momentary bowl of soup because he was hungry. I can't judge the man. There's been decisions I've made in my life out of moments of desperation that looking back, I would have said, if I would have just held out a little longer. Right. You know, whenever you work out, whenever you're in the gym and you're in the moment and you're about to die and you quit, and then about 10 minutes later you get your breath back, you look back and you're like, man, I had that. Why did I quit? Why did I stop before I knew I could? Because it hurt in the moment. Because you're hurting in the moment, you stop right before your moment of victory. You're despising the destiny that God says, if you'll just press through and walk into it. See, God says, I believe in you more than you believe in you. And if you'll press through this, you're going to walk into your destiny. And if he would have held out just a little bit, I'm sure his daddy or his mama would have gave him something to eat. But he despised the very blessing of God on his life as the eldest son, his birthright, and sold it. That's like your great-great-granddad's heirloom that he gave you, and because you can't pay your electric bill, you despise it and you sell it so your electricity stays on. Something that's worth millions, you sell it out for way less than it's worth to keep your electricity on. It says Esau despised his birthright, not his brother. And then verse 37, or chapter 27, a couple chapters later, several years later, verse 34 picks up. And this is when um, Esau had, or Isaac had advanced in years. He could not see very well. And, and Jacob, the, his name it means surplanter or deceiver, came to his dad and he put hair on his arm so he would feel like his brother and when his dad touched him he thought it was his brother and this is where the story picks up where um, Isaac gives the the blessing of the father the birthright and the blessing are two different things the blessing of the father to the younger son not the older son thus fulfilling what God had said the older shall serve the younger and so verse 34 picks up and it says as soon as Esau heard these words of his father he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father bless me even so also my father but he said your brother came to me deceitfully and has taken away your blessing and Esau said is it is he not rightly named Jacob for he has cheated me these two times the birthright first and now the blessing he took away my birthright and behold he has now taken away my blessing and he said man we just ought to do a series on those two things birthright and blessing that's just some powerful stuff anyways then he said have you not reserved a blessing for me and Isaac answered this to Esau and said behold I get, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for and, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine I have sustained him what then can I do for you my son Esau said to his father have you but one blessing my father bless me even also oh my father Esau lifted up his voice and wept then Isaac his father answered him and said to him behold Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. Now listen, he's prophesying or telling him or saying, you're going to leave the nation of what is about to become Israel in the next several years and go to the land, and now it is called Edom, which is how it is on the map. 
And it says, Isaac answered his father and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword, now listen to this, by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. That means you're going to rebel against your brother or go to war against your brother. Now Esau hated Jacob. He hated Jacob. How many of you know inner vows are starting to set in? You better get right with God if you're hating somebody in your life because it's going to cause you to, to rebel against them one day in an ungodly fashion against somebody who may be in covenant with God and you're setting yourself up for destruction. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, these days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother, Jacob. Hmm. Somebody plotting out there, I'm telling you. But the words of Esau, um, but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called for Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send, you, then I will send and bring you here. Why should I bereave for both of you in one day? And so that's how the story begins to end. There's a lot more to that story. I didn't have a chance to put all of the eight chapters of Genesis in there for, for one night's message. But I just wanted to give you the historical biblical background of how these two nations that started out as brothers came to get to this place of war with one another. And now to fuel the fire, you jump over to the book of Numbers. And it says this, this is now, now this is several hundred years later, okay? This is way after Jacob's dead and Esau's dead and, and all that goes on. And, and then several hundred years later after Egypt, they were in Egypt for 400 years. Now they've come out of Egypt and now they're in numbers and Moses is here. And so you have the land of Edom and you have the land that they're trying to get to of Judah or the promised land. Now listen to what happens with the descendants of Edom and how Esau's anger didn't stop with Esau for generations and hundreds of years it permeated this nation Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom remember those are the descendants of Esau thus says your brother Israel so Moses is still returning or, or referring to them as brothers Edom not so much and so th that is so key moving forward thus says your brother Israel you know the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we all lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dwelt, dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And, there we, and, and here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Now listen to what Moses is saying. Now this is Moses, right? I mean, this is big time Moses. Everybody loves Moses. And, and as he's talking to the king, out there, he, he begins to say, um, heard your voice out of Egypt, and we are in Kadesh, the city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through a field or a vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, you shall not pass through lest I come out with the sword against you. 
Remember, you'll break your brother's yoke by the sword, is what we just read earlier, back several hundred years. And it says, um, lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, we will go up by the highway. And if we drink your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, you shall not pass. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through the territory. So Israel turned away from him. Watch what you're saying to your kids about the people who make you mad today because they will carry your burden and they'll pass it on to their kids. That's why we struggle with racism today because parents are cast, passing the burden on to the kids. They pass the burden on to Edom. Edom's been dwelling and stewing upon this all these years. Now here's the great betrayal. We're going a couple hundred more years down the line. And this is uh, in Kings chapter, or 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 8 and 9. And it says, In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Nebuchadnezzarin, the captain of the bodyguard, the servant of the king of Babylon, came to Judah. Now that's some titles. All right? I mean, that man had some clout and some power. They came to Jerusalem. And burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all of the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. Now, now remember this. Remember um, Edom's in this. And now they have partnered with the nation of Babylon. And Psalm 137 clarifies this and several other scriptures blow it. And it says, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem. This is talking about what Nebuchadnezzar just did. How they said, lay it bare. Lay it bare down to its foundations. This is where Obadiah steps in and begins to prophesy against the nation of Edom on behalf of the nation of Israel and Jerusalem and several other scriptures below that. Ezekiel uh, 25, Ezekiel 35, Ezekiel 36, Joel 3.19, Obadiah 10-14. through 14. They also prophesy about Edom's betrayal that we just read about. Now, I wanted to give you all that background information for, for a particular reason, because as we go into this, we're going to begin to talk about Edom and those who are against the Lord and how, the, and how all this begins to work in our lifetime today. So Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. God rises up people in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and even today for a specific reason. That reason is to bring his people back into remembrance of their covenant. God is rising up people, even in today's time, to bring people back in remembrance of their covenant. Any time that the nation of Israel got in trouble, that the nation of Judah got in trouble, it's because they had walked away from their covenant with God. God was rising up Obadiah in this time to bring people back to their covenant so God could begin to war on their behalf. I'm telling you, if you're struggling with something in your life, if you're having issues in your life, if you're going through problems in your life, before you ask God to have vengeance on those against you, you make sure you're back in line with his covenant listen when David went out to fight Goliath he didn't go out there calling Goliath's names he went out there calling on his covenant he looked at the giant that was ahead of him and said I'm telling you this you're uncircumcised and you're a Philistine and I'm a child of the most high God 
He wasn't calling out names. He was calling out covenants. He was establishing, God, I'm in your covenant. I'm stepping up for your people. He's not in covenant with you. And when you begin to call God in remembrance of his covenant, now listen to this. God doesn't forget you're in covenant with him, but you have to remind yourself you're in covenant with him. Okay? That's like when God says, come, let us reason together. You're not reasoning with God. God is God. He's all-knowing. He, he has his plan full in place. When it says, come, let us reason together, that means Joel walks into the presence of God, sits down, shuts up, gets God's perspective from his covenant with me so I can go out and walk victoriously. That's right. There is no reasoning on my part. <laughs> Amen? So when I say call God in remembrance of his covenant, that means you're bringing your, I should say you call yourself in remembrance of your covenant with God and God's covenant with you. And that's why I love to offer communion every Sunday morning and Wednesday night and in times like this because it reminds us of our covenant. And we are a covenant people. We are married to the Father. And don't use Western interpretation of marriage for that. Amen. Please don't. So Obadiah is using now to be calling God's people back into their covenant. Now listen, covenants are this. The Bible simply stated is a book of covenants between God and man. That's all the Bible is. It's a book of several different covenants. More than the old covenant and the new covenant, there's several covenants listed in the Bible. Many things are misunderstood about scripture because you're reading it from the viewpoint of lack of covenant knowledge, number one, or the wrong covenant, number two, or not being in covenant at all, number three. And so when people read the Bible, perfect example is this. We read the Bible and we put Job in the middle of the New Testament and in the year 2017. Right. Job took place in the middle of Genesis. Right. Before the Old Covenant, the Old Testament with Moses was even established. Right. I mean, he was still operating under the very primal covenant that when Adam and Eve sinned, God made the first covenant. He killed animals and clothed Adam and Eve, which was the first blood sacrifice with, 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 with the animal skins. That covenant had no blessings or no cursings with it. It just said God made a way to cover his people. So in that time, the only covenant that was established was God said, I'm going to cover my people. And in that, the minute the sin happened, God had something already in place because it says, uh, the prophecy was, Satan, you'll strike his heel, you, you'll, you'll strike him, but you'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. So the only thing that began to happen moving forward is God was putting his plan in place for the full redemption of all his people with the new covenant of Jesus Christ. So then you have this thing that Job's operating in, and everybody's like, oh, but what about Job? What about Job? What about him? He was a man who was alive just shortly after Adam and Eve in a covenant that doesn't even relate to the old covenant, much less the new covenant. It was God still showing his faithfulness to an unfaithful generation. And even in the midst of Job's life, Job lived his life. And if you want to take one thing from Job, take this. He sacrificed out of fear, not out of faith. It said every day he would go and make sacrifices because he was afraid that his children might have sin. Whenever you make sacrifices out of fear, you're saying, oh God, I'm just doing this and I, I'm so fearful, I'm so afraid. You know what the enemy's saying? You're giving me an open door to operate upon your fear 
And you know what happened when it all happened? Job said, the thing I have feared the most has happened to me. But I want to tell you about God's mercy even before the Old Testament. Because at the end of Job's life, you go read the story. I'll get you in your Bible somehow. So that being said, my soapbox about Job. Don't, don't come to me with the Job argument in the New Covenant. It has nothing to do with what we're doing today. It is in the Bible to show God's mercy. And even in the oldest of old covenants, he will bring full redemption. Minimum, double, restoring what the enemy has destroyed. Now you can glean some valuable things out of Job, but never make theology out of it. Amen? Amen? All right, I'm done with Job. Okay, here we go. It's a book of covenants. So lack of covenant knowledge, if you don't know what you walked in when you walked into the blood of Jesus Christ, you're going to get beat up and beat down and your life's going to get ransacked by the enemy all day long and you'll be happy to make it to heaven one day and you'll scrape through kind of like a kid running in with busted up knees and bloody elbows and bumps on his head because he fell off a skateboard. You need to get knowledge of your covenant. There's a reason you get an owner's manual when you buy a car. Tells you everything about that car. The reason you got a Bible when you got born again is it tells you all about your covenant rights as a believer. What you can walk in, in the power and the presence of God. The wrong covenant. Man, don't be in, say you're a new covenant person living in Old Testament religion. Amen? Uh, I mean, we got so many people living in Old Testament religion trying to be a new covenant believer. And new covenants, man, we walk by faith and not by sight. When we walk by faith and not by sight, I'm not looking at what you did in the past. I'm looking at what your destiny is moving forward. Man, if the Bible says this, he, he removes your sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. It doesn't say God forgot your sins. It says he chose not to remember them. God cannot forget. Do you know that? He's all-knowing. It's impossible for him to forget. But he's all-powerful, so it's not impossible for him to say, I can't forget, but I can choose not to remember because I'm God. Man, I got so much stuff I can... I'll just go on for days. Give me another five hours. Mitch, here we go. But I got five minutes. And those of you who may not even be in covenant, if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, I'm telling you, it's time to get into covenant. So all these amazing things you hear about are forgiveness, of restoration, about the blessing of God coming into your life. You can walk in the covenant with God. And now Judah and Israel were nations in covenant with God. Edom was not in covenant with God. Now listen to this. Many say, that's not fair. A lot of people read the Old Testament, and because of lack of knowledge, you say, why would God do this and obliterate all these other people? Does God not love everyone? Of course he loves everyone. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. But the issue with that is, is in the Old Testament, he had to have a starting place with someone, and that was Abraham. And you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Israel to begin to start his plan. And listen to this. God did not leave anyone out. He just chose a starting place with Israel. Genesis 12, 2 and 3 says, and I will make a great nation of you and I will bless you and I will make your name great talking about Israel so that you will be a blessing now listen to this I will bless those who bless you now you can even say it like this I will bless those who come into covenant with you and to him who dishonors you I will curse and in you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed right. now, now I want you to read how he said that right there it, it says this it says I'll bless those who bless you or make covenant with you and and then it goes on to say those who dishonor you i will curse 
But look at God. Look at how God responds even to this. He says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And he puts a period and he stops. He didn't bring up the curse of all nations again. Because it was God's heart even then that all nations would line up with Israel and begin to bless them so he could be a blessing to all the nations. His plan has never changed. It wasn't God is for them and God is necessarily against them. It's God created covenant with them and he had obligations to them. And anybody else who wanted to get in on that covenant could because even in the Old Testament, they made provisions for anybody who wanted to be grafted into the nation of Israel, even in the Old Testament. Oh, I get excited about some of that stuff. God has never been against people. He's always been for the people in covenant with him, though. And it's the same way today. And today we can still get in on it. The major fallacies with the nation of Edom were this. Pride. And I I forgot to read that uh, place up there um, earlier at the very beginning. Some of the major things uh, of Edom were were pride and treachery and betrayal and and things like that. Um, And so one of the issues, Edom's greatest issue was, was pride. Faith or trusting in oneself, one's abilities, and one's possession. This was their greatest downfall. Obadiah 3 and 4 says this. It says, The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the cleft of the rock and in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, listen to this, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Listen. The big bad whatever that always tries to keep this so-and-so person down. If you'll begin to trust in the Father, it doesn't matter how high or how lofty or how big of a sky-rise building that they're in. And we always say when we're in trouble, but God for our rescuing. What I'm saying, when we're in trouble, but God, because he's willing to bring down those. Come on. That was there, but God. And so their biggest issue was this. It was the, the, the Edomites had pride. And in the land of Edom, there were massive mountain ranges. And they had this massive fortresses built in the tops of the mountains that they could see far away if an army was coming to attack. And they also had seas and rivers on the other side. And it was like the perfect fortress. They were a dominant army of their day. And God says this about them. You can set high as you want to. You can even set your nest among the stars. But from the stars, I'll bring you down, declares the Lord. Even in covenant with Jesus, God is disgusted by pride. Even with us who are in covenant with Jesus, God is disgusted by pride. Hunter, can you help me right quick? You want to play? I'll I'll play God. Okay, this would be fun. Come Come over here. If I'm God and this is Hunter and he's walking with God, we're walking with God, everything's good. And if Hunter happens to get into pride, God says, hey, fix that. We keep walking. Hey, fix that. He doesn't fix it. Start getting ahead of me. Hey, fix that. Pride, you're getting ahead of God. You don't trust him, trust in oneself. God says this. Stop right there because I'm not going to run that far to catch you. God says this. But God gives more grace. Now listen to this. Therefore, it says, this is a part of grace. We've never looked at it like this. Grace is this. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Part of his grace is opposing the proud. Now, listen to this. 
I said earlier, even in covenant with Jesus Christ, God is disgusted by pride. And so literally, James is writing this to believers. It's also written in 1 Peter 5, 5, that if, if, if we're walking with God, walk this way now, if we're walking with God and pride gets in the way, as we keep walking and, God, and we don't correct it, God says, stop. <laughs> now listen, a lot of us, we would think, oh, God's going to fight for us. No, God says he opposes you. See, a lot of us, we, us in our Western theology, we don't like to think about God coming against us as believers. But part of his grace says, if you don't stop walking in pride, I'm going to stop and I'm going to stand in front of you. And if you want to come at God, it says God opposes the proud. And James wasn't writing to lost people or unsaved people. He was writing to covenant people. And God was addressing pride in the church in James and in 1 Peter. And God says, if you don't quit walking in pride, I myself will turn and I will oppose you. Yeah. Not for your destruction, for your own protection. Amen. He didn't say he was going to curse you. He didn't say he was going to throw you to the ground and kick you and beat you up. He said, I'm just going to oppose you. I'm going to stop you in your tracks. Right. Y'all give Hunter a hand clap. Sorry, I didn't mean to <laughs> stop you. So, my bad. Man, the first time God revealed that to me, changed my life. His grace is so big, and he loves us so much that if we get off in pride, he himself, now he won't send an angel, he won't just have the Holy Spirit convict anymore, God himself will come and stop Joel in his tracks until I turn from my pride. Man, I, I love that. A lot of people are like, man, that's harsh. No, that's grace. <laughs> that is the fullness of grace. He's protected me even from myself. And even in my sin, he didn't say he was going to curse me. He said he was just going to oppose me till I would quit sinning so I didn't fall in the midst of my sin. And he's going to protect the movement of God that he's got going through me. Well, come on, man. That's good. Man, I get excited about that. But I got to go. I got to finish this message. We're running a couple seconds behind. And so, yeah, we're always like this when I preach. And it says, then it talks about here. The day of the Lord is coming. Now, when you read the book of uh, Obadiah, you've got to realize it talks about two things. It talks about when Obadiah's, uh, Obadiah's prophesying, it talks about that day, the day that God is going to come and he's going to restore Israel that day when he's going to war against Edom that day. But then it goes on later and talks about the day. So, so Obadiah is not just prophesying about Jerusalem being restored and God warring against Edom. This is a prophetic picture of the end times with all the God's people and God's going to war against all nations because that's what Obadiah says. Read the end of the chapter or read the last verses of the only chapter. It's 21 verses. And so when it talks about that day, the day is coming, um, it says Romans 12, 9, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Edom's day, that day, the, and the day are two different distinct references in these, verse, in these 21 verses. You have Edom's day when God would keep his covenant promise to Judah. This is referenced in verse 8 and 9. It says, I will not on that day, will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy um, the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O, o uh, Timon, uh, so that every man from the Mount of Esau will be cut off by the slaughter. Then, remembering the Bible for, uh, is a book of covenants, God declares of a greater day, the day. Obadiah 15 says this, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. This is how you know it changes from that time frame to, to a time frame we haven't even walked into yet. And in verse 15 it says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations, 
as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return upon your own head. You can cross-reference that with Daniel and Revelation for days. And it says, the house of Jacob, come on, this is talking about our day. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph, a flame. The house of Esau, stubble. And they shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Edom and that day is an example uh, of the day, the day of triumphant victory of God and those who are in covenant with him, the church, and how they overcome. I want to close this out with the final verse, 21, the deliverance. Obadiah verse 21 says this, saviors, some versions say deliverers, saviors or deliverers shall go up to the Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. See, you had Mount Zion in Jerusalem. You had Mount Esau, uh, the neighboring nation. And it says, you shall go up to Mount Zion and you shall rule over Mount Esau. Listen, it doesn't say you're going to go up to Mount Esau and rule. You're going to rule from God's domain because God's domain, then they overtook the domain of darkness that was there. And so you're going to keep ruling as a son or a daughter from God seated at the right hand of the Father. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The term survivor or deliverers is from the uh, root word yasha, which is from the same word which Joshua and Jesus are constructed in the Hebrew language. So when, when, when he said saviors or deliverers right there in verse 21, it's basically saying, I'm constructing the word savior because I'm referencing Jesus Jesus shall go up to Mount Zion, come on, and he shall rule over Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. God, through every covenant, has always been establishing Jesus Christ as king of his kingdom. The Bible says this, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth were ever laid. Y'all can go ahead and begin to play. Before the foundations of the earth were ever laid, Jesus was slain. So he's always been establishing his kingdom from the very first prophecy in Genesis. Now, the question is this, can you trust God in times of pride, greed, violence, and betrayal by your enemies until his vengeance can be done to them? Can you wait on God to bring his vengeance before you overreact? Can you wait on God to bring his justice on the pride, the rebellion, the the violence, the greed, and the betrayal done against you? Can you wait on God to do that? But more importantly, I want to ask you a better question. Even more, can you celebrate if those who victimized you repent before the vengeance of God can occur on their life? Because I see a lot of believers who will sit there and say, all right, God, I'm going to wait till your wrath comes upon so-and-so or so-and-so. But the greater step of a believer is this. The Bible says this, God is not willing that any should perish but all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Those who have done harmful things to you, vengeance to you, betrayed you, deceived you, lied to you, tried to kill you, and have done horrific things to you growing up, can you celebrate when that person gets born again and forgiven and they don't experience the vengeance of God because they repented? Come on now. That's the church. That's what we should be aspiring to. I don't want vengeance upon my enemies. I want salvation upon my enemies. I don't want vengeance upon those who hurt me. I want delivering for those who have hurt me. I want their blinders brought down. I want them to be set free. I want them to come know the same mercy and grace that I've known because I'm so glad that I can repent of my sins and God's not pouring out vengeance upon me that I might deserve from what I've done to people knowingly or unknowingly in my past. Can we celebrate it? 
That is a true believer. Jesus said it so clear in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said to love those who love you and hate those who hate you. But he said, I say, love those who love you and love those who have cursed you and despise you. Love them. Mm, he sets a standard unparalleled by any of the prophets. By any of the prophets, he sets that standard. First Peter 3, 2 Peter 3, 9 says this. Let this encourage some of you. God is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some of us count slowness. But it is patience toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Would you stand with me tonight?